Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, a recap episode. Thank you, sponsors, Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugging the Scott Auctions, Mike's Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. I've got a cut on the inside of my mouth, so it doesn't feel so good to talk. I'm sure mouth cuts heal, but I chomped on something the other night, and it's, it's just frustrating. So I'm trying to talk out of the right side of my mouth. Not the correct side, just the right side. Recap episodes 824 up through 848. The first one, 824, was outtake episode with Herman Bryant and Ken Kinsley on their personal rips and hobby chat YouTube channel. I like having other podcasters or YouTubers on, and uh, many times it's just one person, but those two guys have been doing it together for a while, and that's a different good dynamic because you've got the different personalities that they have. I think many hobby partnerships work really well when the two people have uh, different skills or different approaches or different personalities. So enjoyed both those guys. They're pretty different, but I got something out of each one of them and enjoyed the time. 826, skipping the recap episode from 825. 826 was the Upper Deck American Hockey League box that I got. It's not a box that I probably would have gone out and bought, but just reminds me that people like buying boxes and opening packs now more so than getting team bags. Many of the minor league hockey sets that I have, of which I have a whole bunch from the decades before they were distributed as a team set. And so you get the set, you get all the cards. If a player ever hits it big, you have it. And you have star basketball also, not in packs. You know exactly what you're going to get if you bought the team bag or the small set bag that star did. But again, upper deck AHL hockey, there are licenses to do boxes and packs and you can complete the set. Depends on how you want to work on it. There's some hits in there. We talked about that. 827, the first of several parts with Mike Phillips. Mike and I have overlapped and passed each other in different lanes in the hobby for several decades now. He's an executive vice president at Upper Deck, has been there for quite a long time now, a couple decades, but he's been other places before. And I knew of him before I knew him, as happens sometimes, but again, a very sharp guy. You can see why he's lasted and thrived in this industry. He's really done it all. And he's a lifer like me. 828, similarly, I titled this as an interview with Michael Hino, Ziggy No, and uh, had a good time with that. He's a real thinker. He's not a yes man. He tries to call out what he sees that's not good and try to call out what he sees that is good. So it tries to call it like he sees it. And uh, we had a good time for, again, several episodes. 829 was the first part of the interview with Clemente Lisi, the journalism professor that loves soccer cards and has just written a book on the World Cup, which I'm hearing now that Dallas may play a pretty prominent role in the World Cup finals even. So that'll be exciting to see. 8.30 was Brad Bethune, his second time to do questions. He came over with Rich and they were sorting some cards and we recorded some podcasts. And so one of the things I told Brad, I said, Brad, why don't you just think up, before he came, I said, why don't you just think about some questions for Rich and me and we'll see, because Rich comes at things a little different than I do. And he surprised us both with the questions about Christmas. And here it was August or I guess barely September at that point. 831 was the interview with Ray Cherry. Ray and I were friends back in the mid seventies, mid maybe even early mid-70s. He was similar to my age. He just retired, was a serious collector from back in the day, remembers all those early shows. 
And so that was great to reminisce. Again, he's just retired, and I wish him well in that. But uh, how great is it to retire and have a hobby like this to spend some extra time on? So he's a set collector and uh, has a real uh, desire to leave a legacy. 832, the second part with Mike Phillips. Again, we just kept going. I never know how long these are going to take, but my promise is to keep my episodes to 15 minutes a day so you can schedule that if you want to. 833, the second part with uh, Ziggy No. Sometimes it's hard to divide them up, but I just try to chop them up at 15 minutes. 8.34 was the second part of the interview with Clemente Lisi. I just thought it was fascinating. I have found out about some kids, famously Tanner Jones, named his son Beckett as a first name, but I don't run across that many people that their first name is Clemente, and not in this case named after Roberto. 8.35 was the dueling questions with Ray Cherry. I can't know what the questions are, but <laughs> he's a little bit like me in the sense of my age, same state of kids and friends and cards and remembering the good old days. Thanks, Ray, for sharing your questions and giving me some good answers. 836 was the job and career prospects with Brad Bethune, the Texas card dude, Rich Klein. This is one that we got a number of comments on, whether it's through Instagram or YouTube or through email, drjamesbeckett at gmail.com. This was a commented on episode because I think people are wondering, there's so much money coming in the category. Are you at an advantage or a disadvantage if you have hobby experience? And clearly, I think you're at an advantage, but you don't necessarily want your whole team to be lifers. You want some perspective so that when new people are coming in, into your company, and you need a skill set. If they're in a programming role, they need to be able to program. Doesn't matter how many years they were a collector, if they can't program, and that's what the job is. 837 was the collection accounting records. I think this may have been one of Brad's ideas, but just talking about keeping records, and he's a much bigger record keeper than Rich or I am. Uh, but my, my sports card insight is expect to be audited. <laughs> And you get audited if you do really well, or if you do badly and you're deducting expenses without a profit, both those things increase your chances of being audited, not just business-wise, but business and personally, both I've been audited. But since I'm expecting to be occasionally audited, I'm not caught unawares. I'm able to justify. I have some things that I do that the, the approach I take, the IRS has agreed usually, but not always. And we have a cordial discussion. And as I said, sometimes they've paid and give me a refund, but a couple times I've had to pay them a little more. But that was good. Thanks, Brad. And thanks, Rich, for that. 838 was the dueling questions with Mike Phillips. I wanted to end on that because I was eager to really enjoy questions from people that either don't know me or do know me, or in Mike's capacity, he is known of me and been aware of our company very much for so many years. And he had some nice shout outs and compliments to some of the guys that used to work for me in the price cut area that were very insightful and great memories of that. 839, the last part was Ziggy No. 840 was the last part with Clemente Lisi. That's probably where we got a little more into the soccer. We really had a wide range and we have a lot of things in common, although I'm probably old enough to be his dad, but we had a number of things in common and it was fun to get in this. So we finally got into the soccer toward the last one. 841, gotten a fair number of comments on that. This is what I'm calling the retail reveal. Uh, 60 odd, uh, retail boxes that I won in a Huggins Scott law auction. You can see what I paid and you can see what was in it. It was a lot 570 in the auction catalog from uh, a few weeks before and uh, got the blasters, the jumbos, the hangers, the megas. I want to be a lifer, but it doesn't mean I'm going to be only a vintage collector that I can't keep learning. Some of the sets were nostalgic and some of the sets were brand new. Again, I don't think that I'm the primary market for that, 
But I had a good time, and I really was thinking when I opened that stuff up, because I have one other lot that's like that. I thought, you're going to win some, you lose some. And I really thought this would be the one, even though I got it at a discount, I really thought this would be the loser. But I thought, I can't lose because I'm going to learn and I'm going to enjoy. But it actually worked. I actually made money on this. So I can't say, hey, it depends on what value you put on sorting cards, on opening cards, on enjoying cards. When you go to the movies, you pay your money. And you never get that money back. When you buy cards, you maybe don't get the exact ones you want, but you walk away with some cards. 842, helping friends sell their collections. I just looked up and I realized I'm working, I'm helping a couple of guys sell their collections or collections in their family. Sports cards, pretty exclusively. If they don't have that, I refer them to somebody else. But it's happening more and more. And I'm trying to vicariously lean into it to think, what if this is me? What happens when I am no longer here? You can read about things like that, but there's nothing like experience. So I'm experiencing in several cases, where does it go? How do you parse it? Do you want to sell it slower or faster? I have realized that I may potentially have a tax problem because several of those have been this year. And in a couple of them, I actually set everything up under my name. So it may be that I'm going to get 1099 or not a W-2, but some kind of tax information for sales that appear to be under my name, but they weren't my cards. I was selling them for my friend. So we'll see how that sorts out. I'm not going to go to jail or anything, but I'm going to have to deduct that and I'm going to have to report it or pass it on to my friends because that wasn't income to me. In fact, as I said, I didn't charge anything. I just passed it through. 843 was my slight tribute to my dad. Again, he's still around. He's slowing down as my mom is too. I had dinner with them that night. And it's always great. And what a blessing to still have my parents. And they're very, they're, they're just getting older, certainly older in the body, but they generally are sharp and able to talk about current events and sports and things like that. So, and family matters. So that was great. And uh, again, that was my first introduction to what's going on with these higher numbers. 844, I titled buying the dollar box, but really I could say buying the dollar boxes. I bought out a couple of dealers. And I've talked about it to some degree. I haven't given all the details, but I bought out the whole rest of the show dealers' dollar boxes. So it goes from a few boxes to a whole bunch of boxes. And I realize when I'm grouping the things for eBay to keep what I want and then get rid of through eBay some of the player lots that I want. eBay is so huge, I'm not really competing with it. But on Com C, when you buy the whole box, in the situation where I'm picking out, I would have just picked out one of the cards that I thought, hey, this will do. But if there's three of them there, the same exact card, and whether it's serial numbered to 250 or whatever it is, you're thinking, well, this is probably a pretty good card. And you check Com C and there's none of them on Com C. What do you do? Do you put three of them on there? Do you put two of them on there? Do you put one on there and hold back? It depends. So I'm learning about that. There were some in this one lot where I got 10 of some good card. Now, it wasn't a great card, but it was a good card. Again, if it's not on Com C, do you put all 10 of them on there? If you do, people just freak out. It makes it look like it's a really easy card. Actually, as I said, it's not high supply, but it's generally very low demand. You might find that those 10 cards don't sell for 10 years. And I'm trying to sell in less than 10 years. 847 was the tribute to Mari Wills that I'll say Rich helped me with, but actually I helped Rich with. Rich always has great stories. Many I have first or second hand knowledge about because they involve when we were working more closely together in the company, but always fun and sad when somebody dies, but to have fond memories of the contributions they made to the sport or to collecting. That was great. And finally, 848 was the outtakes from Hobby Hotline dealing with Albert Pujols hitting his 700th home run, and specifically what's going on with the fan that caught the ball and how he was immediately sequestered and approached by the Cardinals organization to try to trade for the ball. There's no way that offer 
with this bad jersey, a ball, whatever, uh, would come anywhere close to what he would get perhaps in an open auction or in a private sale. So it looks like that's what he's done. And it sounds like Albert is okay with that. He understands the fans pay their money. They sit in the stands, they get a ball. That's tradition of baseball. We had fun with that. The chemistry on Hobby Hotline is different every time, and it's always good. So I appreciate the guys and the questioners. And there's always something to talk about on the podcast, on Hobby Hotline. Content creators, I don't think are ever going to run out of content for this particular hobby slash industry. So... Thanks, everybody. That's it. Another 25 episodes. I'm going to keep going here. I'm enjoying it, and I hope you are, too. See you tomorrow.